Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. You didn't put the enemies out and you didn't tear down their altars, which is kind of a big deal that they didn't tear down the altars because later on they're going to be stumbled to worship on the altar that God said tear them down. Which is why when we come to the Lord and God called us away from certain things, we should destroy everything that has anything to do with it. God calls you out of drug culture. Should you keep your pipes? No. If God calls you out of, you know, whatever it is, I mean, if God calls you out of playerism, you know, do you keep the, the black book or now what would be the phone numbers in your phone? No, you get rid of everything that has to do with the old man. Has God called us to stop sinning? Have you responded well? Today, Pastor Bill says that we must destroy everything associated with that sin. Unlike the children of Israel who refused to obey God, God told them to kill their enemies but they thought they had a better plan. Their disobedience hurt them for generations. When God calls us to do something, we must respond with faith. Doing it God's way may not make sense, but let's remember that God knows and sees all, including our future. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Judges chapter two, as he begins his message, Going in Circles. Chapter one and chapter two of Judges brings us up to speed. It gives us the, the foundation of what's going on at that, what's the climate spiritually for Israel. As we get to chapter three and on, we're gonna start looking at the characters and the individuals, the individual judges. So what Israel had failed to do many times as God would give them victory over their enemies, God brought them into the land that he promised to bring them into. But when they got into the land, God said, wipe out all the enemies. And instead of wiping out the enemies, we saw over and over again, that they found ways to compromise God's command. So instead of wiping the enemies out, hey, we'll keep the enemies here and we'll just make them serve us. They said they put them in, under tribute. They made the enemies serve them. And what would end up happening later on is that as their children would grow up, they would look at these other pagans, the people that got left around still worshiping their false gods. Israel would be stumbled into idolatry, which would bring them into disfavor with the Lord and there would be the cycle that they would go through of God freeing them, falling into bondage, you know, into idolatry. Then, you know, God letting the enemies kind of punish them. And eventually they repent and they cry out for help and God would send a judge to deliver them. And we talked about what the word judges meant. It's not like a judicial judge in a court. It literally is a deliverer, someone that God would raise up to deliver his children in those times where they would cry out. So chapter one taught us those things. Chapter two is kind of a continuation of the things that was going wrong in Israel before the time of the judges kicked off. So look at chapter two, verse one. It says, then the angel of the Lord came up to, from Gilgal to Bokshem. I led you from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars then God says this, but you have not obeyed my voice. And he says, why have you done this? So a few things here in verse one, we got the angel of the Lord. For those that don't know, whenever you see that phrase, angel of the Lord, this in caps like that, this is a Christophany. This is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity showing up before he comes through Mary. So this is God. This angel shows up and says, look, I led you out of Egypt. I delivered you. Well, we know God led them out and God delivered them. So for any that would say, wait a minute, that's an angel. No, it's, it's God. This is God, the son. This is a Christophany. So the angel of the Lord comes and he came to Gilgal. And I just would say this. 
to me, it's kind of a big deal that God came down to speak to them. You know, that God said, I got to go talk to them. Anytime God speaks is important. God came down and said, I'm not going to send this word through a prophet. I'm going to come down and they're going to get this direct connect. I'm going to tell this to them. And so what was so important that he came down and had to say it to him? Well, verse one, he said, look, I'm reminding you of what I did. I'm reminding you that I'm a God that keeps my word. He said, I led you up um, from Egypt and I brought you into the land, which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I would never break my covenant. God said, look, I kept my word. I brought you guys out of bondage. I did this for you. Then God reminds him of the command he gave them. In verse two, he says, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land and you shall tear down their altars. That's what I told you guys to do. I kept my word. And what God is making very clear is I did my part. You didn't do yours. And then he tells them point blank. He says, but you have not obeyed my voice. And he says, why have you done this? I read that over and over again. It's a very simple question. It's a rebuke in and of itself. Everybody here has their own challenges, right? Whatever your challenges are, whatever the last thing you sin against the Lord, what if the Lord came down and said, why did, why did you do that? Why have you done that? Didn't know the answer for all of us? There'd be no good reason. We might offer up a, a day of reasons. Why have you done that? Well, because I was, I was tired. I was weak. I haven't been in my word. I haven't been in prayer. I was out of fellowship. I was tired. We could, we could offer up 20 million reasons, but you know what? There won't be a good reason. There won't be a valid reason. There won't be any justifiable reason. There is nothing that they could have said here that God would have said, oh, oh, now, okay. now, that, now that makes sense. Now I get it. You know, now I understand why you did that. You know, there, there was no answer they could have given just like for you and I. There's no right answer to that question. There's no acceptable answer to that question. Why have you done it? Because I, I rebelled. I haven't been obedient. There will be no good reason why they did that. Look at verse three now. Therefore, is always a connecting word. So as a result of the fact that y'all have not obeyed my word and you didn't put the enemies out and you didn't tear down their altars, which is kind of a big deal that they didn't tear down the altars because later on they're going to be stumbled to worship on the altars that God said tear them down, which is why when we come to the Lord and God called us away from certain things, we should destroy everything that has anything to do with it. If God calls you out of drug culture. Should you keep your pipes? No. If God calls you out of, you know, whatever it is, I mean, if God calls you out of playerism, you know, do you keep the, the black book or now it would be the phone numbers in your phone? No, you get rid of everything that has to do with the old man. Verse three. Therefore, I also said I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side and their God shall be a snare. God said initially I had told you that wherever you guys go, I will drive the enemy out before you. I'm going to fight for you. But because you didn't obey me, God says, now I won't. Now you're going to be subject to them. The enemies that you kept behind, they're going to be a snare. They're going to be a thorn to you. And their gods are going to be a snare to you. What is that like for you and I? It's like somebody choosing in disobedience to the Lord to, to go their own way. God, I know your word says this, but I want this anyway. I'm going to have it. And God says, you know what? Then you get to have it. But all the victory that I wanted to bring you into, I won't bring you into. And this is what God wants. This is important that we don't want to miss this. God wanted Israel to have victory, but he wanted it to be a cooperative effort. God wanted to bring them into victory. God said, I want you, you guys go walk into the land. And when you walk through the land and fight the enemies, I'll fight for you. I'll make sure you win every time. But I want you in faith and obedience to go and obey me. And when you go and obey, I'm going to show up supernaturally. We're going to cut together. We're going to wipe the enemy out. But if you won't go because, and obey, God said, I won't show up. You're going to get whomped by your enemies. And now God says, because you guys didn't do it, I'm not going to help. This, for New Testament believers, God wants us to have victory too. You guys believe that? God wants us to be victorious in all areas of our life and our walk and relationship in the same way 
God would empower them to have victory. God would empower us. There are steps that we have to take. We have to step in the direction of victory. You know, God, this is what you, you called me to not do that anymore. Well, as I start taking steps to not do that, I believe God will empower those steps. Um, as I step away from those issues, I step away from those temptations or whatever, God will empower me to continue to walk those steps out. And that's why when we do end up in a place of victory, we give the glory to the Lord. Uh, we don't boast. We don't say, well, you know, I did this in my own strength. We recognize God's hand of help in our lives. And so, but God tells them now I'm not going to drive them out. Now, now it's going to be tough because you guys didn't do what I told you to do. Verse four. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place Bochim, which is it means weeping. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. Now, this can be, you know, good or bad. You know, um, they're weeping. It, that looks good. It looks like weeping when someone's crying over something that looks like brokenness. But you guys know that tears in and of themselves don't move God. Right. If someone just cries over, they're crying over what they just heard. That's not that's not all that God wants. And we should know that, too, that um, this doesn't discourage us from being people that cry. Sometimes in brokenness, everybody here, I'm sure, has had moments of brokenness in your walk with the Lord where maybe it brought you to a place of tears. I just am saying that tears in and of themselves, that's not all he wants. And so if I feel bad about my sin and I break down and cry and I, I wet a few tissues, that's not it. God's like, OK, that's a good start. It looks like we're on to something, but God wants them tears to be followed up with what? Repentance. With repentance. Exactly. That's what he wants. And so a few verses, if you're taking notes in Joel chapter two, verse 13, the prophet said, so rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Back then they were tearing their clothes as signs of their just brokenness. God said, don't tear your clothes. Rend your hearts. Bring me some broken hearts. What did the psalmist said? A broken and a contrite heart God won't despise. Over in uh, Luke 3, verse 7 and 8, when John the Baptist came baptizing people and all these people showed up. Now, we're not going to do this when y'all show up at our baptism. It was another breed. And when the people showed up at the baptism. Now, I guess if people showed up to baptism that weren't saved, we would say this. These people showed up to the baptism that were not right with the Lord. And John said, I'm paraphrasing who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? He said, y'all go bring forth some fruits worthy of repentance. If you come to baptism as a non-believer, you're just a wet sinner. You might as well go jump in a pool. You know, there's no value to that. So John said, man, y'all, y'all are coming to do the outward thing without the inward thing having happened. And he sent them, you know, with some difficult words on their way. Another scripture I'd like you to write down in your notes if you're taking notes is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. And it says, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of this world produces death. And so there is a worldly sorrow where we can be sorry for what we did. We can be sorry for the effects of what we did, but not really be sorry in a way that causes us to never do it again. God wants there to be a sorrow that results uh, in repentance in our life. This is a quotation from Spurgeon. David Guzik, I put this down, but I liked it. It is wonderful indeed to see people truly weeping over their sin. And Christians should never discourage that. However, the tear is a natural drop of moisture and soon evaporates. The better thing is the inward torrent of grief within the soul, which leaves the indelineable mark within. One grain of faith is better than a gallon of tears. 
A drop of genuine repentance is more precious than a torrent of weeping. All that to say, just I mean, you could cry a river and that doesn't mean anything if you don't make that spiritual U-turn and stop whatever the behavior is that you were doing. God is interested in our brokenness that would lead to repentance. So the people repent and they actually do the right thing. It says they call the name of the place Bochim and they sacrifice to the Lord. Back then, with their sins, they had to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Here's the cool thing for you and me, right? What do we do with our sins? They've been fully paid for on the cross, right? Everything that needed to be done about your sins and my sins is done. Jesus did it on the cross. The payment for sins is fully paid. God can't pay any more for your sin. The penalty is all done, is taken care of. God's, I'm taking that off of you. I've done all the, all the payment, all the, everything that needs to happen for your sin is taken care of. So that's a blessing for the child of God to walk in that grace, to know that, man, I'm forgiven. But, and this is the contrast, right? So then what about the person that said, well, they're all done, they're paid for in full. Every sin, past, present, and future, I'm, I'm good. I can do whatever I want to do. It's a touchy place, right? The truth is, if I'm born again, if I'm genuinely saved, all my sins are paid in full. The other side of that truth is, if I'm genuinely born again, God lives inside me, and I don't want to do that anymore. The, the, the person born again can't go on in sin. You can't. It's just the, the Spirit of God lives in you. You will never be at peace in that life again. You'll stumble. You'll falter. We'll fall. We'll fumble the ball sometimes, but you'll never be okay over here again if you're really born again. I'm not going to tiptoe around it as a pastor. If I tell people that, then they'll start walking in sin. If you decide to go walk and live in sin, you weren't saved anyway. That's why. You know, if you're really saved and God really lives on the inside, sanctification is happening. You don't want that life anymore. You want this life. You desire God. Why do you desire God? Because God lives on the inside. He's changing your desires. He works in you both to will, to want to do, and to do for his good pleasure. And that's what's taking place in the life of the believer. So when you see someone that doesn't want God, that continues to go after sin, that they really prefer this life and nobody bothers them, probably not born again. And we should stop calling those people saved and start praying for their salvation. There are a lot of people that aren't saved. We want them to be saved so bad that we call them. No, they're just backslidden. They've been backslidden for 15 years. Like how many years of backsliding before you just was never saved? You know, when the Bible says that you can't practice sin, what constitutes practicing sin? Habitual, ongoing behavior. When that's your character, when that's your lifestyle, you need to repent. I would be uncomfortable telling that person, no, I think, you know, because you prayed that prayer back when you were in third grade, you know, I think you make it. Nah, that, that you've been practicing. God says, if you practice this, you cannot inherit the kingdom. I'm worried about rather you inherit, you don't like you inherit the kingdom like this. I'd rather see you stop. I'd feel better about that. You know, I'd rather see you make a U-turn. Repentance is what believers do. In Matthew 7, when that group of people stood before the Lord at the time of judgment and Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. And what did he say? You workers of lawlessness. You practice sin. You lived in habitual disobedience. I never knew you. I wanted to know you. I was dying to know you, but I never knew you. He didn't say I knew you, but you messed up so bad that I stopped knowing you. No, I never knew you. And so we don't want to ever be over there. Amen? Amen. We want to be over here. We know the Lord and we're known by the Lord. And as believers, we all struggle with stuff. Everybody in this room struggling with something. But you know what? The struggle is the sign of spiritual life. When I was not born again, I didn't struggle with sin. I just did it. I struggled with the consequences. I struggled with getting caught with certain things, but I never struggled with sin when I wasn't saved. 
it's when I got saved that it was like, now I'm struggling with this. Because my flesh is wanting to do it and my spirit is like, don't do that no more. My flesh does it and now my spirit's convicted about having done it. And now there's a struggle that goes on. The struggle is, if it's any consolation to you battling with sin, the struggle is a sign of spiritual life. The person that's just given over looks spiritually dead. If two people are fighting, I'm looking for aggression coming from both sides, right? If, if someone's not moving at all and someone, they, they either dead or knocked out, but they're not in the fight no more. You don't want to be in that position spiritually where it's like, you know, I don't see no fight at all. You didn't lay down, embraced it. Um, we want to be in a place where at least if I'm battling with something, it's a battle. And hopefully, you know, by God's grace, you, you're getting some licks, you're getting some victory over these things. So, so moving on from here, look at verse six. It says that when Joshua dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord. All the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works which the Lord had done for Israel. So Joshua lived 110 years and everybody that was alive over the time of Joshua, they continued as long as Joshua lived. The people from Joshua's generation that outlived him, as long as they were alive, the people continued with the Lord. So as long as there was a group of people around that had seen the work of God. It seemed that that group of people kept everybody else in touch with who the Lord was. But when those people would die off, they failed to successfully pass the baton. Look at what it says in verse eight. Now, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance in Timnah, Harris, in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, that means died, another generation arose after them, and notice this, who did not know the Lord, nor the works which he had done for Israel. When all those people died, when Joshua died and all the people that were contemporaries of Joshua died, it said this next generation behind them, they didn't know the Lord and they didn't know the works that the Lord had done. Why not? Why didn't they know the Lord or the works that he had done? It hadn't been passed on. One of the things that God had charged the children of Israel with was that they would pass down to their children. They would share with their kids. And you would talk about me when you walk by the way. And you would talk about me in the house. And you would share with your kids. That is the command of God to the to man or the woman of God, that we raise up godly offsprings. That our kids would know the Lord because we've shared the Lord with them. We're not dependent upon the Sunday school or Christian school or any of those. Those are, those are nice additives, if you will. But we're the ones. If you're a parent, God's calling you to raise up your kids in the ways of the Lord. You have the greatest ability to teach them. They, they're going to watch you more than they see anybody else. They're going to have an opportunity to glean from your life. If they're going to learn to walk a life of faith, they have an opportunity to do it watching your life better than anybody else's. And as you walk with them and live with them, you have opportunities all the time to talk about them, talk about the Lord, share different stories and this, that, and the other with them for them to see what God does in response to prayer because mom and dad pray. We pray and we wait on the Lord. And when God shows up, we can celebrate as a family that God answered that prayer. You have that opportunity with your kids. If you fail to do so and your kids grow up a generation that they don't know the Lord and not knowing the Lord is one thing. They don't even know what he did. That means that you didn't even share the stories. It's possible that you could share all you know your kids with the Lord, but they don't know the Lord yet because they're free moral agents. And they got to make a decision for the Lord. But don't have your kids grow up in your household. They don't even know what the Lord did. They don't even know the stories. They haven't, you know, at least give them that. 
Get sew those things in that when later on in life, when they make the U-turn, it'll be clicking. It'll, it'll all come back to them. Uh, I've known kids that resisted the Lord through their junior high and high school and young adult lives. But mom and dad have been faithful to sew it in and teach it to them. And when that kid would finally come to himself and decide, oh, man, I've been tripping. I do want the Lord. They would come to the Lord, but it was like, boom, everything that has been sown into my life is, is still there. It would, it would come back. Thank God that somebody, and they had, the mom and dad had to sow it in faith because I don't see the result right now. It doesn't look like they're getting it right now, but I'm going to do it because God says, you know, train them up in the way they should go when they're old. They won't depart. So you just do it in faith. You do it in obedience. They'll come back. I call it the boomerang effect. I got one right now and I'm waiting for the boomerang to, to make its round. You know, you got to come back. We, if you do your part, mom or dad, sow it in there, teach it to them. And then you give them to the Lord. God, now I'm just praying. I've done all we could do. You know, we shared it with them. We laid it out for them. We did the best we could to live it in front of them. And now we're praying that you bring it to life for them. You know, you pray for them and you keep praying until the Lord brings the boomerang. Come on back home and, uh, and you love on them and everything else. But as parents, right, we want to do this part. They failed to do this part. Why did they fail to do this part? In part, they were already compromising. They already had these foreigners around them. They already had people around them and altars that should have been torn down were still erected. And so all around them were people worshiping other gods and Ashtoreths and the different goddesses and whatnot that they were worshiping. They were already in a state of compromise so they didn't share with their kids. Now, it's like a double whammy, right? Now our kids are growing up in a culture that's pagan around them and I'm not sharing with them the truth. It's a double whammy. Because I'm seeing this other worship, and I guarantee you that they're talking about that stuff. I don't know the other side of things. We got to be sharing with our kids. If your kids go to public school, even more so. Because they got non-believing teachers that are reading books that were written by non-believers. That got fictional stuff that they're teaching as facts to your kids every single day. You better be at home making sure your kids know that this world didn't go boom and create. You know, that God created. You know, in the beginning, God. You got to relay that to your kids. And so when the teacher say something off, your kid's like, that ain't what happened. No, that's not how it went down. No, I know God did it. You know, you want your kids to know because you told them. I've told all my kids that, you know, some of your teachers are going to be wrong. It's OK. If me and mom said this and your teachers say something else, I'm promising your teachers are wrong. I had Harmony when she was in junior high. She was at a Christian school, but they had the wrong dude in the Bible class. It was the wrong guy at that time. But he said some stuff that was wrong. And I told Harmony, always be respectful, but don't ever bow. You know, don't ever, if you know it's wrong, don't, you don't have to bend because it's an adult, just respectful. So she respectfully was like, raise her hand. And she shared her disagreement and she gave verses. He shut her down. Then another young man, he raised his hand. He gave a rebuttal. And those two went back and forth with, they gave verses. And the guy shut him down. He got upset and he gave him a demerit. So Harmony was hot. She never, I've never get, I've never had her call me from school. But she called me. She was like, Dad, this happened in the class. And, then, and, she's, and I'm like, she's like huffing and puffing. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to come up there right now. And I went up there and uh, the principal, he was my Bible college instructor. So any doctrinal issues have to go to him anyway. So I went to him and said, hey, um, this happened in your class. You might want to talk to these two kids. Uh, but it's a doctrinal thing. So your Bible teacher said this the kid said that. And, you know, they got demerits. The, the principal went and met with them and I got called that was on a Tuesday I got called that Friday and they asked they're like hey would you teach the Bible class for the rest of the semester we moved this guy to music and uh, they're like so I did it I'm like you know what I'll take that on but 
I was proud of her. I'm like, you know what? You were respectful. You were obedient. You know, you had to like stand your ground. But she was right. But what she said was right. We want to empower them with that. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington with a transforming word. We know you didn't have to come today to hear from the book of Judges. You could have easily switched channels or moved on with your day, doing other things. But you did choose to tune in, and for that, we're grateful. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Los Angeles, California. If you found these messages helpful and encouraging, why not listen to more? You can find these teachings at calvaryinglewood.org. Just look under the teaching tab. You can also download our mobile app to have these messages with you wherever. Another resource on our website is a daily Bible reading plan that might interest you. You'll also find links to Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So head over to calvaryinglewood.org for all the information you need. And if you still haven't found what you're looking for, just call or text us. Our number is 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. As you can see, we have many ways to help you connect with God throughout your week. If you're wondering about a way you could contribute to the ministry here at A Transforming Word, we greatly value your prayers and financial support if you feel led to do so. On calvaryinglewood.org, you'll find a Give tab that helps you know how to proceed. Thank you for your support. We hope you come back here next time as you quickly notice the effects of a transforming word.